Hello all and welcome to Accidental Careers, the podcast where we talk to people about their jobs. Was the path there windy? Were they jobs they even knew existed? Let's find out. Today we're talking to Lee Williams, who owns his very own unique agency after dreams of being a Rugby World Cup player. Lee, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. The sun's just come out in London, so um, uh, it's it's all good. Is that where you are, London? It's still raining in Liverpool, so uh, yeah, you've got the best weather. Yeah, tropical south. (laughs) Where are you originally from, Lee? Oh, you can probably tell. Yeah, um, well, I'm originally from um, South Wales, from the Rhondda in, mm. in South Wales, mining valleys. Okay. And is that, yeah. am I right in thinking that that's where your desire to be a rugby player when you were a young boy came from? It was very much mm-hmm. so. I mean, I, it's probably rugby is a very different game in, in Wales, or at least South Wales, compared to uh, England, as I soon discovered when I left South Wales. But it's a, it's a bit like a religion, South Wales, very working yeah. class kind of sport played in all the schools and villages and, and towns. So, yeah, no, I grew up very much uh, with rugby. And were you a sporty boy? I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was always run, running around fields, climbing trees and um, just playing lots and lots of rugby, actually. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. But but actually, the, the, the first career um, that you really wanted to pursue was uh, an airline pilot. Is that right? Well, it, it was probably rugby was, I didn't think when I was really into rugby, I probably didn't even think about careers and having to pay bills and that. But when I, <laughs> yeah, when I had to think more seriously yeah. um, about like, what do I want to do? It, I wanted to be like a commercial airline pilot, which really influenced what sort of subjects I chose for for, for school and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's that, I mean, what a job. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's probably something I never heard talked about when, um, when I was at school, so part of the kind of rationale behind this podcast is really finding out how people kind of ended up in the jobs, including myself. I didn't know my job existed when I was at school because we used to put something into the careers office and it would spit out a, a sheet that said every woman was going to be a secretary and every man was going to be something else. So where did the passion for for kind of, was something that inspired you? Did you go on holiday and think it was cool? What happened? Where did that come from? Yeah, it's a good question. Probably quite the opposite, actually, because um, the only holidays I did up until that age was probably camping in, in West Wales with my my family. Um, but I, I don't really know. I, I think I became, we, we used to go down to the coast in South Wales quite a lot. And, and down near there, um, is, it was Cardiff Wales Airport. It was called Roos Airport many years ago. And we always used to go past there. And I became kind of quite fascinated with, with aeroplanes and airports, actually. Um, wow. Sounds a bit geeky. Well, listen, they are fascinating. Then, they still fascinate me to this day. Are they stay in the air? Still fascinating. I know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> coming on. Yeah. Well, I was going to come on to that because the first time I flew, mm. we went on a family holiday to the Black Sea, actually, in Bulgaria, probably, I don't know, around 1982 or something before Bulgaria was even popular. Mm. And um, it was a really bumpy flight. I, I was 14, 15. Horrible flight. We flew through a thunderstorm. The pilot <gasps> hit the wrong switch and all the lights went off. I, I was oh. throwing up. And um, I, yeah, I absolutely shit myself. So I, yeah. after that, I was like, "There's no way I want to be a pilot anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so there was um, that dream, absolutely. Yeah, counts. yeah. <laughs> and, and as it happened, I became quite a nervous flyer. Actually, I did fly a few more times in my teenage years, mm. and I think um, you know you're, you're too young probably to have too many unfounded fears then. But yeah. but I did become in my twenties. I didn't fly, and um, in my thirties, wow. I was quite a nervous flyer. But I, I mean, I've flown a lot so much in my 
career that I kind of I've got over it. I mean, I still if it's turbulent, I still I yeah. still get a little bit kind of on edge. But yeah, no, I think those that put paid paid um that that put an end to my uh, my career choice as an airline pilot. Dreams of wanting to be an airline pilot. <laughs> yeah. Do you know I once went on a flight from Liverpool to the Isle of Man, and it was it, it was a twenty five minute flight. That's how quick it is. And it was the most turbulent flight I've ever been on. I grabbed onto the man next to me. I didn't know him. Uh, and he, he just shot me a look like, are yeah. you okay? And I was like, no. Um, but yeah, I don't relish the thought, but I do it every year because you feel like you should. Otherwise, you'd never see anything, would you? But you, you yeah. did you did kind of go on to study. You did a science degree, Lee. I did, yeah. Well, I, I guess before that, just because I kind of in my head thought, well, if I want to be a pilot, then I should study physics and chemistry, mm. biology, maths. So I kind of, at that point, at that sort of, um, the wheels were in motion, really. So I carried on with that. And I kind of liked the science teachers at school. I was, I got on very mm. well with the sports teacher because I was, I was captain of my rugby team. Um, mm. But then I also got on very well with um, sort of the science teachers and, and the maths teacher, actually. Um, so I just ended up doing those sorts of subjects and then didn't have a re- didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. I didn't really, you know, even think about it. Sort of eighteen, to be honest. So, but I think mm. it was my, my, yeah, it was my dad. Said, you know, when he he would, he was pretty, been pretty influential in all my life, obviously, and still is. Um, oh, yeah. But he was like, well, you know, think about biotechnology, and I didn't even know what that was at the time. And you know, wow. I was growing up in growing up in the Ronda in the late seventies, eighties. You know, it was like one in ten, one in ten people unemployed. It wasn't about what do you want to do. It was like try and get a job for the future so yeah I, I ended up um choosing to, to go down that route really and I, I did um, I did apply to um kind of a number of places I got mm. offer from Cardiff University in Swansea to do sort of material science which was bizarre I don't know why I applied for that Loughborough <laughs> offered me a place I think because I was captain of my rugby team playing I was quite good at rugby of course yeah. um, but I, I chose in the end um to go uh, much to the uh, aghast of, of many people to go to Wolverhampton Polytechnic and study oh. applied, applied science because the course there was really, it was quite modular. Um, and um, I thought it might be a bit easier than going to uni as well, to be honest. And um, <laughs> so I, I chose that. And um, yeah, I studied sort of biotechnology, genetic, biochemistry uh, in wow. a sort of mod- modular degree. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, did when you finished that degree? Because I, I know you do something very different now, which we'll move on to. Mm. But did you did you do anything with it? Because it doesn't sound like it was easy. No. Well, it. I mean, what I've realised, particularly in my second and third year, because um, mm. they forced us to do a little bit of social science, and it was okay. like um, we would, we were studying things like um, and, and a little bit of sort of philosophy. We, we was we were we had to study things like biological determinism and, and all these uh, kind of more sociology type things. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I, and I used to write really long essays, quite flowery. And, I'm, you know, I was quite political um, and interested in politics. So I, I found that aspect of the course really interesting and, and uh, probably kind of started off my my creative side more, really, to be honest. So I, I, and I was always, I've always played the piano from a very young age. I seem to have, um, you know, I had a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a gift, it sounds a bit pompous, but I've always been able to <laughs> play a tune on the piano by year and then I had lessons. Um, so I was yeah, quite creative in that sense. But no, I just bumbled through through college, yeah. really doing mm. science and thinking, oh, I suppose I, I better work in a lab or something when I finish. So I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, although I was getting more and more into music and stuff. 
Honestly, the piano is, is a what a great instrument. There's one here behind me. So uh, my daughter plays and I could listen to it for hours and hours. Yeah. Can't, can't do it myself. I just, it, it, it looks very complicated, but I just could listen to the piano for hours. It's a beautiful instrument, isn't it? So yeah. um, great, great skill to have. So you 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 got you bumbled your way through to to use your um your terminology there through mm. your college years and when you came out what was the first proper job Lee? Well, I think by well by that point I decided then and you can you can probably tell how mixed up I was growing up. I decided then I <laughs> wanted to be a musician, form a band, or at the very least work in in like sound engineering or something like that. So okay, my my mum and dad picked me up at the end of my three year course actually and. Um, my dad was like, okay, so, um, you know, what are you going to do? And I was pretty confident I'd pass my degree. And yeah. um, so you, they were like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do now? And I, and I told him that I wanted to be, you know, a musician or going to sort of sound as it become a sound. And he was like, what? I think you almost stopped the car. He was like, what? <laughs> you just done three years studying sort of biotechnology. And what, what the hell are you talking about? And, uh, yeah. and yeah, we had a little few crosswords on the way back not not in a bad mm-hmm. way I think he was just bemused no. and uh, my dad was uh he's very into music and kind of creative stuff as well so oh wow I think I was just a bit mixed up really to be honest and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I, I kept you know having all these outlandish ideas do you know though I say this time and time again and listeners are probably bored of me saying this repeating this all the time but I just feel like it's there's too much pressure which is kind of where this was born from my my 16 and 18 year old kids were um, you know, stressed out to the max when they were picking subjects because they didn't know on that day precisely what they wanted to be. And it was like, it's okay, you know, because there you are three years into science degree and, and come out the other side with, because you, you, you meet people, you find new passions, different things happen. And I think circumstances have a lot to do with the twists and turns in our career path. Do you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. And that's something I've thought about mm. a lot um, retrospectively, actually. I think um, it's a crazy age to try and, you know, decide what you want to do. And it could change from one mm. day the next, to the next at that age. So, no, for me, it was just, oh, I have no idea. I mean, and, I, and you know, it depends on your upbringing, I guess. You know, I grew up in a very yeah, working, work, working class family and, and environment. And, you know, how dare we even think about what do you want to do? It was much more um, about... Um, mm. You know, you need to get a job and, and think, you know, you're going to be competing against a lot of people from private schools mm. and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. you need to get some good qualifications and, and get a job as the main as the main message, really, which is understandable in those times. Do you find you use any other skills, or, you know, that you kind of, uh, I think, you know, brought with you from that college experience? Do you use any of those skills now? Oh, I think so. I think absolutely. I mean, not in a date. I mean, I, I did... Um, I did go into sort of pharmacy manufacturing at a hospital in Northwick Park for about 18 months. And then I, and I, then I ended up in Queen Square working in um, research neurogenetics. So that, that I definitely use a bit there. Um, mm-hmm. And, but, but I think it's all the other sort of skills, you know, in terms of just communicating yeah. with people when you go to college and, you know, you're out there on your own and, and, and um, all the negotiations and all those other things that you learn, whatever you yeah. study really. So, so yeah. It is. I can't let you move on until you tell me a bit more about research neurogenics. Did you say neurogenetics? Yeah. So I worked with um, I worked in Queen Square, which is a really renowned centre of neurology. Mm. Um, okay. so, so I was doing like a, a research assistant role there and um, researching in, into movement disorders. We're basically trying to identify gene or the genes um, 
responsible mm. for movement disorders, um, including Parkinson's disease at one point as well. So, yeah. It was, uh, wow. Yeah. How interesting. So, and did that not give you, did that not just kind of grab you and give you the bug to continue to do that line of work? No, not at all. I felt like a fish, fish out of water, no. really. I mean, I loved the, the people I met there. Some of them, I think I've had a, like a, a lifelong impression on me. I mean, you know, there were like, there was like, somebody called Professor Anita mm. Ardin, who sadly died quite young, but was a professor mm. in her late 20s, 30s, an absolute brilliant, brilliant woman, brilliant wow. mind. And I worked for her mm. and um, her team. And then and there were people under who were now also professors who I worked with who, who were seriously smart. And um, and they seemed to give me a bit, you know, the time of the day. I, I managed to get on with them and communicate reasonably okay with them and uh mm. and that was again a really big step up for me i didn't really enjoy what i was doing just working in a lab really as a sort of lab lab technician sort of mm. job but um but it was amazing being with these sort of extremely intelligent inspirational people which i think i learned um a hell of a lot from but i didn't want to stay in a lab no. it sounds like you're doing yourself a disservice you obviously got that degree and they obviously thought highly of you or they wouldn't have uh they wouldn't have kept you on for so long so <laughs> You, you, you've obviously followed a little bit of a different path mm. um, and I'm interested to find out because this is what I would call, I guess, your accidental career. You, you know, you set off in the science, you, you did these jobs in labs and you're doing something what I would consider to be quite different now. So um, talk to us about how that all began, the story um, behind Finding Naked Health. Yeah, well, that, that's got a long story. So I think, again, you know, I was... I was working in a lab. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. My, my dad, who I said, you know, has been pretty instrumental. I remember him chatting yeah. to me a long time ago about, because he was into art. He was quite a good painter and, and good at drawing and stuff, which I didn't inherit. Mm. Um, and um, <laughs> he was saying he, he always really fancied working in advertising, you know, coming up with ideas like, you know, for TV and TV ads and stuff. And it, it kind of, yeah. that always did appeal to me in the back of my head as well. And um when I, I was, I ended up in London, you know, in a, a very low-paid research job, um, you know, sort of scrimping by and stuff. And I was thinking, oh God, I need, I need to get yeah. into doing something more commercial, really, and and earn more money and um, get on a bit more than than I'm going to be doing in this lab. Um, so I considered um, kind of sales, like pharmaceutical sales, for for a bit, and um, and then I thought, oh, I don't really want to do sales and, and stuff like that. But and then I thought, well, maybe like. You know, what my dad always said, maybe I should think about advertising because I've, you know, I've always I've got a strong creative streak. So mm. at that point, I didn't realize there were all these pharmaceutical stroke healthcare agencies. So I was right into mainstream, you know, FMCG consumer agencies. And, and yeah. you know, and to be fair, like I was doing some copy tests and to be fair to them, some of those agencies, even though by that point I was like living with my girlfriend at the time in my mid to mm-hmm. late. When he's so quite old to be trying to get into into that sort of uh, advertising, but I, I did, you know, I got replies and and I got some comments about, oh, these ideas are good and you shouldn't give up. And I think one company even offered me a job, and then said, well, we, we won't pay you for six months. And I was like, well, you know, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I've got I've got no sort of uh, no way of um, supporting myself. And you know, my girlfriend at the time was a nurse, so we, and we had a mortgage actually, so um, so I couldn't do that. Then then. Lo and behold, yeah. I think it was in the New Scientist, which was weird because they, you know, agencies in healthcare would probably never advertise that. Now, I saw this advert, yeah. I think, I think it was in the New Scientist for like a healthcare copywriter. So I knew I wanted to be a copywriter, like a creative copywriter. Mm-hmm. And I saw health and I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. And and then that sort of yeah. whole world opened up to me and um, I did a few 
interviews. I, I met someone who I'm still really good friends with to this day, actually, um, who yeah. got me in for an interview. Um, didn't offer me the job because people in his agency decided I wasn't experienced enough, you know, with, with no experience. Mm. And um, but he got me in at another agency as a trainee copywriter, and um, I just I loved every as soon as I you know started. Started I, on the I, advertising journey, yeah, we all fall into it, don't we? <laughs> it was just like, oh my god, this was it was everything. I was think you know I hadn't kind of experienced before. I was getting fulfilled, and you know, it, was, it, it was like a challenge. I had to come up with ideas and. Uh, I absolutely wow. loved it, and um, you know, I just threw everything I had into it. You know, I, I was doing really long hours of, of my own volition, and because um, I just yeah. loved it so much. So, I, and um, yeah, I teamed up with a, with a with a great sort of person on the art side, and 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 who's who's became a great professional um, partner and 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 friend still. And uh, yeah, and then we just we just I just seemed to progress pretty quickly. Um, working for like a small independent healthcare agency, and then me and um, the, the guy I teamed up with, Malcolm, we got sort of head entered to go and work for a big global network, head up a creative at a big global network agency, which is at Tavas, and uh, yeah. and then, yeah, it all sort of uh, took off from there. It's funny you talked about experience there. It's another one of my big frustrations I talk about on this podcast a lot is, um, you know, the, the the youngsters of today, it makes me sound really old, but the youngsters of today are being asked all the time, but even to work in, you know, super drug, have you got any retail experience? Well, I've got to get it somewhere, you know? So yeah. it, it's it's a real frustration. Whereas back in my day, you know, I, and I say to them all the time, pick up the phone, have a conversation, pick up the phone and ask what it is they're looking for. Ask if there's a vacancy, somebody who shows initiative, you know, by just kind of going out and hunting for that position and wants it more than anybody else will probably be the one that gets it, you know. The, the other thing you touched on there is about, and I can tell when you we were talking as your voice got more animatedly, that you obviously really love that job. And, and what I come across time and time again, and, and me in my own day job, is if you really enjoy something, you will give it your absolute everything. And the chances are that you will succeed because you've got that passion. Oh no, absolutely, and I mean, I couldn't believe I was getting getting paid, and uh, I mean, and already even as a trainee, the, the bottom of the ladder when I started as a trainee copywriter, I was already getting paid a bit more than I was at the end of my research career, and I, I just couldn't believe I was getting paid to sit wow. around, um, you know, come up with ideas and and write stuff, and I yeah, I was just amazed, and and um, you know, I saw a real, you know good trajectory there as well i could see you know like the next role i would be a, a midweight and a senior writer i could see you know creative director in the future and all of those really well mm. remunerated you know positions as well so yeah i was happy positions, and became yeah. very ambitious as well what i want to know about though is is the you talk about uh, a career highlight uh, and it involves some cough mixture yeah. um and an ad can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, that yeah that, to be fair that's one of many but I, when I was in that sort of independent agency, we were doing as well as like big pharmaceutical kind of stuff, you know, the doctors, we, we also did quite a lot of consumer health and, and days of, that was the days uh-huh. of TV as well. So we were doing loads of TV commercials. Um, like each week we were doing a TV commercial for this one company who just give us all their brands. Um, and one of them was for buttercup cough mixture and, um, and mm-hmm. the, the, we we had a meeting with a client, and they and they kind of were going, well, we're going to position the product that it can be used for any sort of cough because the market was getting segmented, 
um, you know, for dry cough, yeah. for productive cough, and so on. Tickling and cough, the, cli the yeah. client, which mm. we were like, oh, that's quite a, quite a good idea. We didn't know if it was effective in that way, but in terms of a brand positioning, it seemed like a really <laughs> cool idea. So I came up with this like um, end line pretty soon after the meeting, actually, but yeah, cough mixture for a mixture of coughs. And, um, mm. and uh, that then that led to an idea of, which is, you know, the, the 10 green bottle thing we i rewrote that to to to, to talk about one bottle of butt kept sitting on your shelf and that, that's all you needed and, and um, we did this really really low production tv ad where we we got i think we got one singer we, we, who we hired and then the rest of us were like it wasn't me because i can't sing but we had like lots of the agency people um, <laughs> singing the song in a studio and we got like an animation done um of the this, this bottle on wow. the shelf and then Suddenly, the sales just like shot as soon as the ad broke on TV. The sales like shot up like 300% in, in like a week. And I had like wow. two friends who genuinely didn't know what I was doing. And um, one of them was like, Oh, have you heard about that cough mix? So you, you don't need to worry about what cough you got to treat. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, it really does work. Advertising works. And uh, that was a big, wow. uh, a big highlight of my career, I think. Yeah, it's really fantastic when something like that yeah, happens, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, and and you say you've had you've had many of those. Well, in different ways. I mean, lots of what we do is business to business, you know, and um, so it doesn't actually, mm. you know, go out into the public. But but I've had yeah, I've had loads and loads of loads of highlights, and um, you know, and um, probably lately, you know, coming on to Naked Health has probably been again probably one of the biggest highlights is. Uh, setting up my own thing and when was that lee when did you when did you cut the kind of uh, employment strings and go it alone well that was in so i went from a vast wpp um and then left wpp in around 20 but start of 2018 and then um by okay. september end of august 2018 um me and two other kind of ex-wpp colleagues actually had mapped out um, exactly what we wanted to do, the name of the company. We'd registered it in Companies House and we had like a, we thought we can't just become another sort of breakaway independent agency. We needed to position ourselves a bit differently and also, you know, work in a way that we, we didn't want to end up working. We did in the big network agency. So we set up a very different approach yeah. and, um, and, um, Ended up calling it after one name we 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 thought about, but then we landed on Naked Elf, which summed up all of our our values in terms of stripped down approach. You know, we didn't didn't want to have an office, and uh, mm. uh, we weren't going to throw like layers of people in front of potential clients and stuff. So yeah, Naked Naked Elf um, seemed to be the the perfect name for for what felt like a really good and, and slightly different um, type of agency. Uh, yeah, well, it it does. It sounds perfect because what we you know sometimes we do need to just cut through yes. those layers, don't we? And and I guess if you're dealing with different sizes of businesses, and listen, you've been some of the big hitters with Havas and WPP there, so you've you've worked, you know, on the other side and know how different it is when you're dealing with some smaller businesses. Um, like I do, I guess in my day job, you're kind of almost taking their money out of the bank, and you're not playing with monopoly yeah. money as you are sometimes when you're dealing with some of the some of the bigger people. But it makes a big difference to their business, and that must be really satisfying. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I, I mean, and I guess I've always. I've, I've been so consumed in, in my other roles, working for other people, and um, you know, even for the independent, and doing mm. long hours and putting everything into it. I, I didn't seriously ever think about, you know, setting up my own um, agency actually. And so it's the real eye opener for me is the only regret really has been not doing it earlier. Now um, I've worked with, you know, worked with some absolutely amazing people in advertising over the years. You know, some, some even at WPP there was some. Um, 
you know, my, my now business partner, you know, I was a very inspirational character, both of them actually. And mm. there's a couple of other people there, you know, one of them was a, who was a doctor and, and, and a brand strategist who's, you know, one of the best people, again, I've ever worked with them. But I also ended up, unfortunately, with, with every agency I've, I've worked at um, ending up um, having to report to some absolute idiots as well. And, and <laughs> I think, I mean, you know, in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there, there seems to be quite a high prevalence of them in, in, in advertising at times. Um, yes. And um, yeah, so so it's kind of nice then just just doing things your own way with with like-minded people with, mm. without any of the politics and, and bullshit and insecurities that often go mm. hand in hand with those sorts of people in, in networks as well. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> it really does because mm, yeah, with big companies yeah. comes a lot of red tape and um <clears throat> that's difficult for passionate people i find that difficult sometimes yeah it's it's hard yeah i know it is absolutely so so in, in a nutshell because I, I want the listeners to mm. really understand what naked health is i know you've given us a brief uh description there where you talk about stripping back etc but in terms of the clients you work with if somebody's looking for an agency what do you guys offer um we do global brand launches um we we work on brands pre-launch, launch, relaunch, um, yeah, and so our clients are, are typically, you know, pharmaceutical, biotech companies, and we we help bring their drugs to market or, or kind of change the position of their drugs in market and and create all the strategic and creative ideas and content that goes with that. I can give you an idea. Yeah. Currently, I've I've been working on over the last few weeks. Like one day, I'll be working on the launch of a new treatment for menopause, okay. a new, new kind of prescription treatment. Send me the link for that. For... Send me the link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. It's not out yet, <laughs> but right, yeah, okay. I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good. No, and um, we launched a, a global combined oral contraceptive, okay. a very different type of contraceptive. We had the client launch that. We're working on quite a few things in female health, actually. Um, a good, treatment good for uterine, uterine, yeah, yeah, treatment for uterine fibroids. We work with a chemical company out of Switzerland, and then pr- probably one of the big highlights is we want to want want to pitch. There are a lot of agencies ask to potentially pitch mm. um, with with a fairly new client of ours. And cut a long story short, before Christmas we ended up winning that um, winning that account and um, working in blood cancer um, oh, wow. in, in in rare disease. So yeah, that, which we yeah we we love in doing that. We're doing this great client. We're doing some great great work for. So um, yeah, it's just it's just getting better and better really sounds amazing so listen all of, you can tell your dad now i'm sure that all of that science degree in those three years in wolverhampton didn't go to waste because you surely have got the post when when you're pitching for some of these things understanding some of the fundamentals behind what they're trying to do i would think no he's 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 always i'm both my mum actually always been very very supportive and i think he's, he's secretly pretty proud of uh yeah. where i've ended up which is which is important and, and a good thing I'm absolutely sure he is. I'm absolutely sure he is. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's been an interesting journey. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Where do we where do we find you on LinkedIn or or Instagram? How do people follow and see what you're doing? LinkedIn is probably the best place. I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and uh, and chatting to me, taking interest. Thank you so much, Lee. Thanks, thank you. Thank you so much, Lee. That was a really interesting conversation. I think it really proves that, you know, people are the heart of what we do. You don't know who you're going to meet and what road they're going to take you down. What an inspiration. Thank you, Lee. If you want to listen to more of our Accidental Careers podcasts, find us on your usual platforms, Spotify, etc. And leave us a review so we know what you're thinking. Until the next time. Thank you, everybody.